right, everybody, come on in. We will get started. And there's a one-page handout front and back for today, a new one. The guys are diligently handing them out, so maybe everybody received. Anybody need one over here? Anybody not get one? And then over here? You guys are great. Thanks, John, Daniel, for doing that. All right, we'll get to that sheet in just a bit, so if you could avoid like reading the whole thing. And let me quickly make uh, some announcements. One is this afternoon, 2.30, is our family meeting. For those that are members of our church, should have received an email yesterday with the link to the uh, Zoom meeting. On the 10th of next month, uh, September the 10th, 5 o'clock, is our annual celebration dinner. It's our anniversary dinner. Our church started on September 9 of 01, so every September we have a dinner celebrating God's grace to us for another year. That will be that night. So you need to register for that to let us know you're coming for food purposes. So please do come and uh, mark that. And then on the 20th, on September 20th, we start back up with our midweek program. That's off during the summer, but the midweek program has ministries for everybody in the family, all the way from nursery uh, through adult. We have our Pioneer Club for uh, children, elementary children, junior and senior high, high impact. And then we have what you see on the screen there, Community Institute for the Adults. We have three classes that you can choose from uh, for the adults. One of those is uh, a parenting class, gospel-centered parenting. Pastor Larry and Julie are going to be leading that in, in this room. I'll be leading our Master Plan for Life class. It's called, I call it a systematic theology for regular people. Uh, and it is one of the two foundational classes that we urge everybody to take. So if you've not taken Master Plan for Life, then you don't need to choose between the other two because Master Plan is the class for you, all right? Uh, so Gospel-Centered Pairing, Master Plan for Life, and if you don't fit into either of those, we have a third class through the book of Romans, and we're delighted to again this semester have Dr. Ryan Meyer from Detroit Baptist Seminary who's going to be with us for that. Uh, so three uh, helpful classes uh, that you can choose from. Notice the time, Pastor Larry, on the announcements the last few weeks and for the next several, will be highlighting that it is a new time. We used to start at 7 for our kids' program, 7.15. Actually, we was the uh, adult classes. So that's quite a bit earlier, an hour uh, to an hour and 15 earlier, depending on the class, 6 o'clock to 7.30. And we'll have a break of about 10 minutes in between each of those adult classes while we're, while we're doing this. Now, we're doing that because we have heard that some people can't come to midweek because it's just too late getting home uh, for work purposes the next day, for school, for kids, and that kind of thing. So we're trying this to see if this helps. But helping on the one end, getting home earlier, means starting earlier, which can be its own difficulty because you're coming straight in from work or whatever it is you're, you're doing. So to try to help with that from 5 to 6, Every Wednesday, we're going to have dinner ready that we bring in. So subs one week, pizza one week, tacos another week. And if you sign up each week, letting us know that you would like to participate in that, there'll be a cost for it, but we'll get it. We'll have it here. We'll have it ready for you. And that will take one step away from your evening to, to try to help facilitate you and your family being able to get here uh, for the 6 o'clock classes. So we have that, and then on October the 1st, we start our new community groups. 
Those are groups that meet in homes on the first and third uh, Sundays of each month. And every two years, we regroup the groups, which means we need folks to let us know, even if you participated this past year, you need to let us know if you're looking to participate again this year. And once we get that list together, then we've got some people who divide the entire list into groups. I say some people. Those people will never be named. If those people were named, those people would be chased down. They would be hounded by people in the church saying, this is where I want to be. This is my friend. I want my friend to be with me. And that they got all kinds of things that those people, or once the, once the groups are made, and then if for some reason the group is not to a person's liking, they'll be chased down for that too. So these pe people are taking on a very difficult task and a somewhat dangerous task as well. And we want to keep them safe, so we won't name who they are. But the big thing is we need you to register. We need you to let us know. And as you do that, you can say, I want to participate. You also can say, I'm willing to open my home to be a host home for a community group. And we need lots of those as well. So if you can do that, that would be fantastic. On October the 8th, in this hour, we're going to have a new series that we're going to send mailers to the community. We're encouraging you to invite folks, and it's called God's Design for Sexuality. You all know that that's a big issue in our culture, and so we're going to try to address uh, what the Bible says about sexual purity, but also uh, what, uh, what marriage is uh, with regard to uh, same-sex marriage, same-sex attraction, transgender issues. We will touch on all of those, so pray about that because it's a big deal. It has to be dealt with accurately, most importantly, from a scriptural standpoint, but then as sensitively as we can as well, and we'll try to do both of those. Our, in this class, then, we'll do that starting at uh, October 8th. We have two more Sundays left in Personalities of Sin, what we're doing now. So today and two more, end of August. Then, September 3rd is Labor Day weekend, and I'm out of town. Uh, and so, in my place, Pastor Larry is going to teach September 3rd in here, and Billy Cochran, who's training for vocational ministries in our pastors and training class, Billy's going to preach that day. So Billy will preach, and then Pastor Larry is going to teach on September 3rd. The next four weeks, September 10, 17, 24, and October 1, those next four are our newcomers orientation and membership 101. Those will both be taking place in classrooms uh, across the hallway. I lead newcomers orientation. That is for, as the name suggests, people who are new to the church. It is, you get a 60-page booklet that we give you, and over four weeks I go through that. It's in a small setting, so you can ask questions. And it's to inform you about who we are, what we believe, why we do things the way we do, to help you make a prayerful decision about whether this would be the place that God would have you to serve and grow. It doesn't obligate you to anything, but it helps you to make that decision. So you see that that will be the 10th through October 1st, those four Sundays during this, this hour. And Pastor Larry will be leading Membership 101. You don't have to sign up for that because uh, we already know who the people are who have joined since the last one of those, so they'll get a direct invitation. And the truth is, you don't have to sign up for this either. Uh, you can just show up. We'll just make a bunch of notebooks, and if five people show up, if 15 people show up, we'll, uh, we'll go through it together and have a, have a good time. So meanwhile, while I'm doing that, in this room, we're going to have some of our guys teaching. On September the 10th, Dr. Combs is going to teach in here that week. That'll probably be the final time, will be the final time, that he teaches for us, because many of you know they are relocating 
to Virginia over the next uh, several weeks, next month or two. So that's uh, sad for us, and I'm glad that we can have him teach for us at least one more time. That's scheduled for September the uh, 10th. Uh, on September the 17th, that one is open right now. I'm talking to some of our guys about that. And on the 24th and the 1st, David Brinkley uh, is going to teach in here, and he's going to talk about community groups because he and Christy are leading the community groups for us. They're going to talk about those. They're going to talk about how they go, what the biblical basis is for us doing it uh, the way we do it, and, and all of that. Okay, I tried to confuse you as much as I can. Is that, uh, did that work? Thanks for your patience on all of that. So this series is Personalities of Sin, and I've been trying to make the case that though we all sin, we sin in different ways. And part of the reason that we sin in different ways is because we are wired differently. So we are naturally sinners, all of us are, according to the Bible, but we are all naturally wired in particular ways, and that's not the same. So the way I tend to sin, the way you tend to sin, is going to be different. I'm going to have struggles you don't have and vice versa. So that's part of what I mean by personalities of sin. The other thing that contributes to that is our nurture. So there's our nature, sin nature, and our individual wiring, but there's also our nurture. And our nurture is our upbringing, our environment, the things that we've observed, the things that have been modeled before us that we tend to imitate then when we become adults. And it's that proverbial, I'm looking at myself and I'm hearing myself talk and I'm going, oh no, I sound just like my mother. I said I would never do that. Oh, I'm doing that. But that's the powerful influence that environment has on, on all of us. So you've got both of those. We both, we all bring both of those into all of our relationships, including our relationship with the Lord. When you became a Christian, all of that stuff was true about you. You brought all that baggage with you. That's why baggage. <laughs> and what we've been encouraging then is that we each, all of us, do a baggage check. That we think about the characteristic ways that we are tempted, the characteristic ways that we succumb, the characteristic sin nature that you have versus the one that I have. Think about that. And also think about the way you were nurtured. Think about what you saw and how you've seen that come into your relationships. So when you came into a relationship with the Lord, that stuff didn't go away. That's called the sanctification process. That's the Christian growth process. That's how that goes away over time. And this side of heaven, it doesn't go away completely. But we are all to be engaged in the Christian growth process, gradually laying aside the baggage. But that requires we check the baggage. We don't change partly because we don't look. So for many of us in our church background, we have not been pressed, urged, encouraged to look. We've been told to get saved, come to Jesus, punch your ticket to heaven, and then coast the rest of the way. And that's what a lot of us do. We don't change because we don't look. And part of the reason we don't look, to be fair, is because those of us in leadership haven't encouraged that the way we should. But the Bible is replete with instructions, examples, commands 
for us to look, including in James chapter 1. Doesn't James say in James chapter 1 that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only? And then gives this illustration of the person who's a hearer only. That's a person who looks in the mirror, sees what needs to change, but walks away, doesn't do anything. So the unchanged Christian life should be an anomaly. It should be something that doesn't exist. From a biblical standpoint, it assumes that those who come to Jesus are in the process of laying aside their baggage on a regular basis, being sanctified, gradually set apart from sin to the Lord. But many of us don't change because we don't look. And that's partly because we haven't been urged to look. Or we don't change much. <laughs> so some people don't change at all. And then those who do change, my observation is, we don't change much because we don't look very far. So many people do have at least some superficial change that they've made. Most Christian people could testify that there's a before and after when I came, became a Christian. But that often is the stuff that's very obvious, the big stuff. So when I came to the Lord, I cursed like a sailor. That's not a personal testimony. I'm just giving you an example. <laughs> but say, you know, I cursed like a sailor. Well, you know, I, knew, I realized that that doesn't fly. I'm not supposed to do that. So I I'm hanging around people that don't do that, and so I just like nurture as I grew up. You get nurtured in the environment you're in. Now in a, you're in a Christian environment, and generally people don't talk that way. And so you kind of clean up your act on that. That's a good thing, but it's a thing, and it's an obvious, it's an obvious thing. Uh, someone likened the Christian life, I think helpfully, to a garden. And when you first come to Christ, this is an uncultivated plot of land that is your life. And the ground, the soil, is hard, and it needs to be broken up, and it needs to be worked, and it needs to be made fertile for growth. But in order for that to happen, you've got a bunch of boulders, and you've got these weeds, and you've got stuff, and these things are obvious. And so when you first come to the Lord, maybe in the first year, maybe two of your Christian life, there's a bunch of those obvious things on the plot of land that is your new life. And you start getting rid of some of those obvious things. That's good. That's, that's change. But then they said, you know, as you start taking the, the rake and you start, or the backhoe, and you start, you know, cultivating this, you start trying to break up that hard ground, you start noticing that there's these rocks. And they're smaller than the big boulders that you removed in the first year or two. They're smaller, which means they're harder to see and there's more of them. And that really is, an, I think, an apt description of the way it is. That we remove some obvious stuff, we've changed to some extent, but we don't look very far in that we're not looking at those smaller and more numerous stones that are still all over this plot of land that is our new Christian life. And the Lord wants those stones too. He wants those out of there. He wants that replaced with fertile soil for growth in Him. So we don't change because we don't look. We don't change much because we don't look very far. Sometimes we don't change because we're nice. What I mean is, 
we're nice Christian people. If most people meet you, meet us, they would come away and say, it's a nice guy, nice gal. And so nice has, and polite passes for Christian growth. And if you were with us last week, you may remember that I said sometimes a person's temperament, their nice temperament, is mistaken for spiritual fruit. And I mentioned, and I, by the way, I told Kim that I talked about her behind her back last week, my wife. She's not in here second hour because she serves every second hour in the nursery. Actually, she's in the toddler section. So she, you know, sacrificially serves like most of you do as well. So that's good. It's not that much of a sacrifice. Okay, I'm not giving her too much credit. I mean, one, truth is she doesn't want to listen to me. She's been listening to me our, our whole lives. But the other thing is we have a grandchild in there. She wants to be in proximity to where Kit is, okay? And so if she can be in proximity to where Kit, our granddaughter, is, then that's where she's going to be. That's where she is. If you guys tell her that I said that, I will deny it, all of it, okay? <clears throat> but Kim, I said last week, she's just the, she has the sweetest personality. She's very gentle, very sweet. And those of you who know her know that that's true. But she and I talked about, we've talked about it over the years. We talked about it last week. That something like that can be mistaken for the spiritual fruit of gentleness. But the truth is, she's just like naturally that way. Even if she wasn't a Christian, she'd be that way. And many of us have traits that are natural traits, but are not necessarily spiritual fruit. How do you know the difference? I read this from a book on Galatians 5 several years ago. So I'm going to read what this author says about it. But it's from Galatians 5, because many of you know that Galatians 5.22 uh, is where the fruit of the Spirit is given. And there are nine particular items given there. Uh, I said last week that I don't think that's intended to be an exhaustive list, but rather a representative list. But these are the kinds of things that are to be present in the life of a Spirit-controlled person. The kind of fruits. So this author says, Christian growth is symmetrical. Paul, who wrote Galatians 5, deliberately uses the singular word fruit to describe the whole list of things that grow in a spirit-filled person. From this we learn a very important point for understanding and discerning the fruit of the Spirit. The real fruit of the Spirit always grow up together. They are one, that's why it's singular. Jonathan Edwards put it like this, there is a concatenation of the graces of Christianity. That is, you do not get one part of the fruit of the Spirit growing without all the parts growing. Okay. Maybe I've got more junk than I thought. I mean, just take the nine in that representative list. And maybe some of those for you stand out like, yeah, if you ask most people and they interact with me, they would say, I've got five of those. But what about the other four? There should be some evidence of the other four. Because this is all fruit of the Spirit, of the one Spirit, and the one fruit that manifests itself in these different ways. And it's supposed to manifest itself in all of these ways. 
I'm going to continue to read here. Doesn't mean that they'll manifest themselves in equal proportion, but they all should, they all should be there. And to the extent that you have a lot more of one than the other, then you ought to be working on that. That's the thing that you ought to be looking at, and I ought to be looking at. So he goes on to say, when we look at the list of fruits, we notice that we are naturally stronger in some than in others, but our strengths, apart from the Holy Spirit, are due to natural temperament. We have a trait through brain chemistry and or early training, or to natural self-interest. We learned a trade in order to handle some issue or condition we met. For example, some people are, he uses this example, temperamentally gentle and diplomatic. That looks like the fruit of gentleness in Galatians chapter 5. But the sign that this is not due to the work of the Holy Spirit is that such people are not usually bold or courageous which is part of what faithfulness is. That's another part of the fruit. Let me just stop there. The person who's gentle and diplomatic wants everybody to get along. So being bold and faithful with, to God, with the Word of God, at times where it might cost you something, that's something that we're called to. But we want to be nice. We're nice people. And you can mistake that niceness for being spirit-controlled. Now, I'm going to invoke Kim again here. And then I'm going to tell him myself in a little bit, okay? But I'm going to invoke Kim again because, of course, I've been with her for 38 years, so I know her better than anyone other than the Lord. And one of the ways that I know that that gentleness in her is not only her natural trait is that she is also bold and courageous she will tell people what they need to hear. She'll be nice about it. They'll know she loves them when she does it. But she does it, and she'll do it at cost, and has, and has done so a number of times over the years. Because of what Paul says about the unity of the Spirit, this means that this sort of gentleness, though, the one that is nice and diplomatic but doesn't have you know, this faithfulness, is not real spiritual humility, but just temperamental sweetness. The Apostle John says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Now notice that he does not say, if a man loves God, but doesn't love his brother, he's unbalanced. No, he says he's a liar. True love to God is always accompanied by love to others. And if they are not both there, neither are there at all. And there are many, many cases of this, the author says. Some folks seem happy and bubbly, so joy, and are good at meeting new people, but are very unreliable and cannot keep friends, faithfulness. This is not real joy, but just being an extrovert by nature. Some people seem very unflappable and unbothered, so peace, peaceful but they're not kind or gentle. So that's not real peace, but indifference and perhaps cynicism. It enables you to get through difficult, the difficulties of life without being always hurt, but it desensitizes you and makes you much less approachable. And you can see how you can have all kinds of examples of that. It's sobering, isn't it? 
for me. And I would guess for you as well. Listen, friends, brothers and sisters. Paul was not joking when he said in Philippians chapter 3 that I press on toward the goal. I've not arrived. If the Apostle Paul had not arrived, you can be sure you haven't either. And I haven't either. And so until the Lord takes me home, until, or until the Lord returns, I'm supposed to be striving to take a look what needs to change. And by God's grace to see that change. And so I ask you, do you see the need? And do you have the desire for ongoing change? Now my experience is that people who see it usually need it the least. That's the paradox. Because the people who need it the most need it the most because they don't see it. Some people, and I'm, you know, I'm like, don't think of anybody, I'm not doing that. But like some of the people who need it the most aren't here hearing what I'm saying right now. But really need to be. Thank God His grace has worked in your life so that He's allowed you to be here, so that you want to be here, and so that you can take what's said and Lord willing put it into practice and by God's grace see His fruit from it. But I know all kinds of people. In fact, after a lesson like this, I always get some people who, who come to me and they're just like, oh man, I got so many things I got to change. And I've known this person for years and they're one of the best Christian people I've, I've ever known. But you know why they're one of the best Christian people I've ever known? Because they take that approach. Because they're regularly looking at what do I need to change? Now what does everybody else need to change? What do I need to change? And so I'm asking you as I'm asking myself, do you see the need for ongoing change? So I said I'm going to talk about myself. Wow, let's just skip this part. And it, it is a dilemma to talk and confess about your own sin, your own struggle with sin. It is a dilemma. One, because of pride. But also, sometimes people have this, it's wrong, and so I, I, don't, I want this to be, sometimes people have this pedestal view that you shouldn't have. And so we want to break that down as well. And most of you would agree with that. That's not healthy for people to have that. It's not healthy for anyone to think that of themselves or to present that kind of image, right? But then my experience is when you do confess things, then people are like, wow, I can't believe you do that. So just do me a favor. Just don't say, I can't believe you do that, okay? Remember when we started this series a few weeks ago and I said personalities of sin, and I'm calling it personalities of sin because... As persons made in the image of God, we have the faculties of personhood, mind, will, emotion. And I also said that most of us tend to sin in one of those more than the others. And so think about, do you sin intellectually? You're the know-it-all. You have to win every argument. Do, do you tend to sin volitionally in the, in the choices that you, that you make? Do you sin to ten, tend to sin emotionally? There is such a thing. And so I was encouraging you to think about that. As I think about me, my besetting way of sinning as a personality is 
in the mind, intellectually, thinking that I know better. And, cond and being condescending to people who I don't think are thinking. That I don't think are thinking very well. And so where does it show up? Well, it can show up all kinds of places. It showed up twice this past week. Twice. So here they are. On Mondays, since, since 2020 and the lockdowns and all of that, I started shopping, many of you know, on my day off on Monday, on Mondays for my in-laws. Dead mom may be watching at home. Hey, dead mom. And... Since that, uh, they have not been getting out much. Many of you know dead mom, they're in their mid-80s. Thankfully, they're doing well, and I get to see them on Mondays when I take the groceries over there, and we spend about an hour or so together, and it's just a routine that we're in for the last few years. So every Monday afternoon, I am at Meyer in Flat Rock, and mom sends me a list, texts me a list, and I go and get it. The last thing on the list is at the deli counter. I call it the dreaded deli counter, okay? Because one, when you get to the deli counter, at least at this particular location, as you stand there, there might be four or five people and there may be three or four workers behind the counter and they're usually, to be fair, they're usually doing something. But there's a bunch of us standing out here. And if they've got stuff to finish up, that's all good. Here's what I, I would do if I'm on the other side of the counter. I would say, hey folks, We'll be with you in a moment. You guys all good with that? But nobody ever does that. All right, that's the worst I've had of it. And I get my stuff and I, and I move on. And I never say anything about it. This past week, I go and you have to take the number. And then there's the digital number up there. And the number and the digital number are never in sync. Okay? So I get 01. I'm the only person here, and it's on 97, okay? So I you know, wait for a bit. Meanwhile, a couple other people have come. They've taken numbers. And then this gal comes, who she's pretty much there every week, and she looks at the numbers, and she starts pounding through the numbers. 97, 98, 99, 00, 01, 02. I go, hey, I got 01. She goes, You people have got to be ready. I say, ma'am, you were going too fast. She says, I was going at the right... I go, ma'am, you were going too fast. What do you want? your name. <laughs> I said, I want your name. Now, we're laughing and it, you know, but that's what I said. And honestly, this is what I want to be able to do in a situation like that. I want to be able to say, hey, are you having a rough day? I'm a pastor. I'd be happy to pray for you. No, really, if you're having a serious, I mean that, not to be smart, not to be, a, that's what I'd like to do. And you don't have to be a pastor to say that, you could say it too, right? But that's not what I said, okay? I said, I want your name. 
And she was not going to, she said, I'm not giving you my name. I said, okay, are you going to get my stuff? And she got my stuff, and then she comes back, and she gives me her name. And I left, and I looked for the manager. That's the reason I wanted the name. Now, that's a decision too, right? Should you, should you deal with this? Should you not? On the one hand, you can just let it go. On the other hand, are you helping that person? Or are you helping other people if you, if you do? You don't want to do it out of spite. It's a dilemma. But the manager came. And I failed to tell you this, that when she was, went to get my stuff after we had that, she says to the other people who are standing there, you people have got to be ready. And just then another gal had come out that I hadn't seen before. She heard her say that. One of the customers took her ticket and threw it and said, I don't need this, and left. So she's lost a customer, too. So when I stood out waiting for the manager, it turned out that the manager was that other person who came out, that second person. And I said, hey, I've been coming for three years. I haven't had any troubles. But this was a particularly bad day. I don't know what's going on with, gave the name. And I said, I think you came out right when, she goes, yep, I heard that you people need to be ready. And said that she had already gotten some complaints that day and was already going to have to have a chat. So they had take it, had a chat. I'm going to go back tomorrow. And I hope she's there. I hope she didn't lose her job. I hope I wasn't instrumental in that. But all of it is me having to think about my struggle with being condescending when somebody does something wrong. Doesn't handle it right. So that was the deli. So Friday, a CBCer uh, went in, it was Thursday, a CBCer went in the, the hospital. They didn't want it spread around, so I didn't send a note. But they went to a location that I had been to one time, but I've been to just about every hospital downriver and beyond visiting people. And so I know how this goes. But I had never been to this place other than, than one time years ago. So I look for the signs, entrance, I go in the entrance, and you know, usually the way it is, there's an information desk, and then I'll go up and I'll give the name and they'll tell me where the person is. So there was a desk, and there was a, a lady sitting at this desk during, doing a crossword puzzle. And when I stood there, she looked up, and I said, I'm here to see a patient. And she said, well, where are they? And I'm having flashbacks to the counter. I'm at the deli counter again, okay? <laughs> and I go, I need to, I need to, she goes, so you're the patient? I go, no, I'm here to see a patient. Well, how am I going to get that? That's what she says to me. And I said, I don't know. It, it's usually I give the name, and then people look it up and tell me, well, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. She says, I'm a volunteer here. Now, I could have just left it at that. But I said, what do you volunteer for? 
And she said, I give information. <laughs> and I said, I want some. <laughs> and she tells me, go over there. That's the way she says it, go over there. And I go, where, what are you talking about? Go to the registration desk. So there's another desk, maybe 20 feet away. So I go to this registration, there's nobody there. And an employee walks by, I say, hey, can you help me? I'm here to see a patient. And she says, where are they? <laughs> so this is a thing at this, at this place. And I go, and this is my smart, I, this is me. This is my struggle. They say, where are, she says, where are they? I say, if I knew that, <laughs> right? I'd be there. I'd be with them. I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. And so then she says, wait here. And so I wait. And she brings a third person now. And then the person starts to tell me we can't give that kind of information. And I say, I've been doing this for like 30 years. And I give the name and I get a, and I get a room. And they say, they're probably at the emergency. And I go, okay, how do I get to that? And they tell me, and I do. I go to the, the emergency, and it turns out that the person had left the night before and had gone, gone somewhere else, different location. So both of those happened within five days. Me and my condescending, smart aleck mouth. When what I want to say is, I really want to say, hey, I... Let me pray for you. Or have the wisdom to just leave it at that. And not feel like I've got to fix it. Not feel like I've got to make sure that this person knows the error of their way. You're sitting here doing a crossword puzzle. I didn't say that. <laughs> and down and across is incompetent. Put that. <laughs> I, didn't say any, I didn't say any of that. Okay, so I feel somewhat sanctified in avoiding that. But I need, to, I need to work on that. I'm confessing. And I'm guessing you've got stuff you need to work on as well. So, we gave you a handout. You got it in front of you. Bring it back next week, but we'll get into it at the top now. That we need to, all of us, analyze and identify. We should analyze our characteristic ways of sinning. I've told you some of mine. Well, how do you do that? How do you analyze your characteristic ways of sinning? I suggest you do two things. We go long and we go deep. By going long, I mean trying to look, look back and look at things that you have experienced that have shaped you and how you have reacted to those things. That's a category of, of experience that we can take with us as one of those bags. These might be really traumatic things. They might be that your parents got divorced when you were 12. And from 12 then through junior high and through high school, you saw a, a change in your life, a dramatic change in your life. So I'm saying here, map out what has occurred in the past. 
Try to think back to major, and then here's the term, significant emotional events that have impacted your life. So they may be physical. I lost a bunch of weight in a, in a given year. It might be spiritual. I came to Christ in 2005, let's say. They might be life events. I graduated from college. They might be regrets. I had sex before marriage. They might be accomplishments. I was named the MVP on my college volleyball team, whatever it is. But think about those. And so there, you can see that there are positive things and there are negative things. And that's a, all of that is a breeding ground for ways that you and I have learned to sin. Because you, can re, you react to both of them. And you can react righteously or sinfully to both the good things and the bad things. With regard to the bad things, it's very easy to react badly. And so now this has shaped me with an, with an anger, perhaps, with a bitterness, perhaps. And so you need to, to ask yourself, how have I carried that baggage along with me from that bad thing that happened to me? It's not something you did. It was something that was done to you, perhaps. But now you've had to react to it. And it's been dominating your life, and you're carrying that around. Or you've got good things that happened to you. You were the MVP, or you were the valedictorian in your, in your class. You had this good thing. You can react in unhelpful ways to that too, can't you? Look how great I am. And you find yourself, as you get out of that high school circle and you went perhaps into, into college, anybody who's played sports, you know, Little League, and then you played in junior high and senior high, every time you move up, it's new competition. And you're in a new world. And a lot of people really, really have a hard time when they get to that level where they can't compete, that next level. Because they've been used to being fawned over. They've been used to being able to, so how am I handling? Even the accolades that I got, whether at a young age or whether in college or at work or whatever it is. Go long, and I'm encouraging you this week to do that. Go long. Think about that. Write down a timeline. This happened at this time, and then look at those and say, how has that affected me? What baggage, good or bad, am I carrying around? But particularly, we want to get rid of the bad stuff, the sinful stuff. So identify that. And then go deep. And what that means is I've identified two or three or five things, and now I want to look at those things and what it is that's motivating me Getting down to number four, what do you want? What's going on? What are your desires and motives? We'll talk about that, how to take the three or four, you know, six things that you identified and then go deep on each of those, okay? So let's pray and we'll continue next week. You can bring this back with you next week, but we'll have copies as well. Father, thank you for the blessings of today, the opportunity to be in your presence with your people to praise you, to learn of you. I thank you for these friends and brothers and sisters that in your providence you have made it possible to be here. You've given the desire to be here. Lord, I pray that each of us has gleaned from today what you have for us to take into this afternoon and this coming week. Help me to remember. 
help each of us to remember that we're your ambassadors, that we're representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so help us in the situations that you've assigned to us, the divine appointments with other people that we all will encounter, that we will reflect the character of Christ rather than our characteristic sin nature. May we grow this week. We ask you to grant us safety and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.